0: In three, two, one.
1: From business leaders to rank and file workers, the competitive 24 7 world of heart stopping change has left many of us feeling in need of new tools to answer these questions. How do I engage more of my talent and that of the folks around me in meaningful work? What is the true meaning of the word resiliency, and how can I use it to my advantage? And why does it seem that we compete more with each other than the competition? So if you're ready to take control and take action, then you're going to enjoy my conversation with award-winning author and internationally recognized speaker and coach, Eileen McDark. Well, hi, Eileen. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you.
0: Thank you. And I am thrilled to be with you. I
1: was so excited when you accepted our invitation to talk about your latest project, Burnout to Breakthrough, and how we can build resilience to refuel, to recharge, and to reclaim what matters. But let's start this way. How did a woman back in the 80s and early 80s, something directed you to resilience? And I know you started your journey in about 1980. You started into the study of burnout about '84, and you discovered the work of Herbert Freudenberger. Why? Why? Why did that subject matter resonate with you in the first place?
0: Because I are one. Meaning I am a burnout victim. I was working for, first I worked for a national healthcare company handling all kinds of crazy things. Then I went with a PR firm handling their multinational clients. And I got to the place, Michael, where if I wrote another press release, I was going to throw up. I didn't like what I was doing. I could do it. I was good. I want you to hear this. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's the thing that calls your heart. Mm -hmm. I'm good at that kind of writing. I didn't want to do it. And so when I quit, we had just gotten married. I adopted my husband's three children. And between the two of us, we had like, oh, no money. But it doesn't matter because Bill said we will always be okay. And that's when I wrote my first book, Work for a Living and Still Be Free to Live. That's where I started quoting Frydenberger. Burnout is this huge issue. Are we doing work that calls to us? And when I talk to you, Michael, I know that what you're doing calls to
1: you. Yeah, right. That makes a difference. It that's purpose. And you talk about that in your book as well, the power of meaning. It's the conclusion in your latest book and how important it is for us to find meaning. Now, I found it interesting when we think of resiliency, I have a, another friend and author Sandy Ash. She wrote Time to Roar, The Meaning of Roar, which is all about resiliency. She worked for the San Diego Zoo. She's a speaker like mm-hmm. yourself and an author. You have a different definition of the word resiliency. Why don't you define it for us? What's the traditional thinking and what's the new way how you would would describe that?
0: Well, if I say the traditional way, it's what you would find in Webster's Dictionary, which basically is that an object under stress, when the stress goes off, when the compression is off, it resumes its original shape. And if I were to ask an audience, this is a, what's burnout mean? They'll all shout, bounce back. I disagree. You and I do not go back. You cannot step in the same river twice. It has changed. And so the notion that I have to go back, au contraire, For human beings, no. So my definition is to be able to grow through challenge or opportunity. So you end up wiser, smarter, better on the other side. Notice I said or opportunity. We think of resilience as something that when it's really bad, oh my God, I got to survive this thing. I also say that resilience at the end of the day is energy management. Do I have the mental, emotional, physical energy? the hardiness to keep moving through. If you have a great opportunity, Michael, that's going to require resilience because it's going to require a lot of energy as you learn all these new different things. So at the end of the day, what is energy but the capacity to do work? That's what you and I learned when we were in school. Energy exactly. Is I needed to do work.
1: And connection. You talk about, you link it to connection as well, which I thought it's was a very connected. interesting.
0: It's all, and which is what you're all about. When you talk about sales and marketing, you're talking about how do you become the preferred person is because of the connection. Right. So if you think about energy and connection, just visualize this. You got a power grid over here. You got lines and you got your house. If it's a good connection, the lights go on in your house. A bad connection, there's no light. The same thing is true with us as human beings. We connect with our head, with our heart, we connect in multiple ways. If it's a good connection, I can move forward. A bad connection, I either get no energy or it's it's drained. It's gone. Right. Mm. So that's how I phrase this whole notion.
1: So you would say there's a mindset that we need to develop for resilience to go through things. It's getting our mind wrapped around that. It's a never-changing thing. As you say, we can't put their foot in the river in the same spot. It's moving. It's changing. It's evolving. And we were going to talk about the marketplace evolving. Is there something you do on a regular basis to get your head around that and approach each day with that resilient attitude?
0: I love that question. First and foremost, resilience is a life skill. When I say it's a life skill, Michael, it means we're constantly growing it. And sometimes we screw up. I write what I need to learn. Right. I wrote this book for me, first and foremost, because there are times in which I don't have the energy. I have to figure out what the heck's going on. So here are some things, particularly after in the face of COVID, when you and I talked about our work, which is generally in front of people, it's starting to come back now, but it's all changed. I made a couple of resolutions. First and foremost, I don't jump up, grab my cell phone, my cup of coffee and go. I have 20 minutes of meditation. Meditation for me is not sitting and going, it's, it's being quiet. I have some things that I read. But just sitting there, and first and foremost, I start with gratitude. I am so grateful for today. It's amazing what gratitude does for your energy. For example, right now, we have a slab leak in our house. My house is torn up. There are holes in the wall, there's holes in the ceilings. The water was off. Carpet's going to have to come out. The adjuster's coming on Wednesday. Initially, I was going, oh, no, oh, no, no, oh, no, this is terrible. And then I thought, I have a house. Right. I'm move over my head. I don't have to worry where my children are. I'm not in Syria or Turkey. I'm not in the Ukraine. Right. And when you start putting things in perspective, so I start with gratitude.
1: Great place to start.
0: What is my intention for today? You were my primary intention for today. My intention is to have a conversation with you that feeds my heart and feeds your heart. That creates energy. Tomorrow might be very different because... You can't step in the same water twice. Right. So, gratitude, meditation, and then exercise. You said you walk seven miles a day yeah. and I run. I run five miles a day.
1: Fantastic. And,
0: and I can't run. I'll go to the gym, but my preference is to run. And when I run, I am outside. I am outside breathing in the air. I live. Thankfully, it's Southern California, so I can run across the beach. I can run up trails that let me look down at a harbor. I come back, and oh my, one of the most wonderful things about COVID, if there was something wonderful, every dog leash is six feet or more. Which <laughs> I can pet right. dogs. I love dogs. Yeah. before i would never have paid any attention now i go oh what's your dog's name and i pet him i, I had uh, i got five different dogs this morning and two of them gave me dog kisses if that doesn't feed your heart i don't know what does so all of this is to say that before i sit and have my avocado toast on good bread that's right. another diet 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 is really important i already have a place and it's fed my heart My brain, now I can start into what the day looks like.
1: And you're exactly right. Gratitude, when we come with a heart full of gratitude, it spirals us up. And it's a great way to start. If you're feeling down, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling depressed, start with the gratitude. It's like your meditation time. You take your 20 minutes. So I use guided because I end up four minutes. I look a bunny. I get distracted. So (laughs) the, the guided really, really helps. So, which all goes to helping us with burnout. So let's dive into that one. You have a chapter, you know, the whole part one of your book is on burnout and the age of burnout and what triggers burnout and triggers the flames of burnout. And the World Health Organization has classified burnout as a global occupational hazard for the first time. So why is burnout such a widespread problem?
0: Well, first off, I'm going to push back on the World Health Organization. I'm glad they said that. But they also limited it to occupational hazards. Yeah. I think sometimes your workplace might be the place of sanity. And what's making you nuts is your home environment and what you're having to deal with there. So I don't see it as limited. Interesting. To, let's just define work right now, Right. whatever you do for a paycheck or whatever it is. So number one, it encompasses the whole 24-7 human being. And then the other part is that I think as our world is sped up, technology is requiring so much of us. It is actually trying to force us to multitask. So I can be sitting here, you and I are having a conversation. Now to have this conversation with you, Michael, I took the Bluetooth off of my phone. I got rid of mail so it wouldn't go ding, ding, ding. I have muted my phone so that I can concentrate on you. But generally, how many times, and you've done this, you're sitting here working and I go, ding, here's another message, ding, here's another message. Oh, here, you need to go look at this, look at this. So I think the technology has also prompted us to think that we have to speed up. But when you speed up and you talked about, you're not reflective. And so the idea that I can do many things and do them faster, 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 more and more and more is crazy. So what's fascinating oftentimes in when we look at business goals, if I were creating a product, we look sometimes for more and more instead of better, better. Right. More and more might not be better, better.
1: Right. Well, it's so- interesting you say that, like, even as a speaker, I talk fast. My audience has always come up and, man, you talk fast because I'm trying to cram it in there. And what I've learned is when I'm talking fast I don't have time to bring in any stream of consciousness something that just might show up and so I've learned to slow it down 75% of that and all of a sudden some real gems will pop up or as I'm speaking I've a chance to think this episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring active campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert and grow our business and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Eileen McDar.
0: When we think about burnout and its global implications, what I've also discovered is it's not just in developing countries. It is everywhere. So if it is a global pandemic, if you will, right? then how do we handle it? And that's where I go back to the only way I can begin to handle it is right here. Right? What are the things that I can do? Think of it as a, like a rock in a pond and the little circle that's around me. Right. So are there things that I can do to support whatever are those little ripples that are around me, sure. whether it's my family, whether it's my coworkers. How do we talk about this? And there are times in which I will tell you too, if you're very good at what you do, particularly at work, you're going to get more and more and more. And part of our ego says, oh, look how valuable I am. Right. They're going to get me more and more. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm never going to sleep, but hey, I'm really, really valuable. It requires courage to say to that leader, that manager, time out. In fact, it reminds me of a sign I saw in a restaurant. It said, good food takes time to prepare. Yours will be ready in a minute. Really? That's what we're saying. If you really want this done well, you can either have it fast or well. How would you like it done? You choose. Yeah. So all of this is we go back to connection again, Michael. And connection is conversation. Conversation that I have within myself. Conversation I have the people around me that can help begin to control those flames and also can help create that energy connection that feeds me rather than drains me.
1: When you talk about resilience, you say that there are four critical skills for building effective resilience. Can we unpack that a little bit?
0: Sure. Adaptability, agility, laughability, And alignment. Adaptability is the first one. And it's probably a really critical one because it's saying if I only have one way of responding to a situation, I am doomed, Michael. If I had no choice, but you were the only person on the planet I could talk to, I don't have any other options. So adaptability is saying, first and foremost, in my head, why do I do it this way? Why not this? Why am I the one that does this? So you begin to say, and how many different ways can I handle this situation? And adaptability also says, are there ways in which my negative self talk is freezing me from Mm. finding it? Are there ways in which I do things and we've never, ever questioned why? In fact, when COVID hit and everybody went, oh, no, they went running, running, running. And now we have to go back to the way things were. I wrote about a meteorological event that happened in the late 1980s on an island off the coast of Scotland. And it was this massive storm that absolutely just wind and waves and rain and this storm when the people could finally go out. They looked, and what all this devastation had uncovered was a village. A village, Michael, that was older than Stonehill. Wow, that's old. Older than the pyramids. They never saw it because they kept covering it up, covering it up. See, I think what we've been given now is to say, what is it that we have been hiding? Mm. That we do things the way we've always done it, and now when all of a sudden it's open, what might be new here? that I forgot. So all of that is part of adaptability. Agility is speed. Speed coupled with wisdom. This is action. Adaptability has to do with my head. You know, what am I thinking? What are my emotions? Agility is, what do I do? And so there are many things under the notion of agility, but it is doing something, not just sitting and go, oh, oh, oh Taking oh, oh, action. I'll yeah, I'll be grateful, grateful, grateful. No, got to do stuff. Do, do, yeah. do. I'm begin to do. Action is the anecdote for anxiety. You can quote me when I came up with I that. I agree,
1: 100%. I that was a good yeah. one. Yeah. Work yourself it. out of anxious moments. Got
0: to put something in action. Laughability is exactly what it says, our ability to laugh. Humor is a great inducer of perspective. When I look at stuff, if I can find some of the humor in it, and I look at the value of humor in business. Some people are so rigid, so joyless, so humorless. Why do I want to do business with somebody who's humorless? So I went and began to look at what's funny about that. What's the humor in it? And a kissing cousin of humor is play. How do we play, Michael? Children play. And when you play, you discover other ways of responding. We know that from the animal kingdom, that if I have have bear cubs, the cub that plays more will be more adaptable in this environment will do better in that environment than the cub that just holds next to mom that's
1: interesting Mm.
0: so adaptability agility laughability and the last one is alignment and alignment is if i think of it it is the underpinning right it is I lined up with that which is most meaningful to me. So when I wrote my first book in the early 80s, I was not in alignment. I was doing stuff, but it didn't feed my heart. This is not why I am here on earth. I
1: understand that.
0: So one of the things that I have become certified in is how to help people find their why, why institute. How do you really say, why am I here? And then how do I operationalize this? And This is what you can count on me. And if we become clear in that, that's kind of the first step, the discovery of that then I can say, what are the values that I operate under? All of that has to do with alignment.
1: That makes sense. And I like how you've included humor as one of the pillars of resilience breakthrough and how and why should people inject more humor into their interactions that you've talked about it, but what if I'm not a funny person? How can I find humor on it? Cause I see it everywhere. I'm, I'm constantly laughing at things. If I see somebody do something silly or stupid, I just smirk at it. If I do it myself, I go, oh Michael. And I can laugh at myself and I start there. That's always a good place to start because I got lots of material, but we can have giggle and I find things that are funny. I was in a meeting on the weekend with a social organization I work with and they were having a kind of a closed door meeting and they were all talking about some of the negative aspects of things and a couple of new members, they did background checks on and found out that they were convicted felons and it didn't come out after the fact. And they said, we are not bringing convicted felons into this organization. And it was really tense and it was quiet and everybody was focused on it. So I just piped up and I said, what's our policy on, misdemeanors and the whole place just lit up and we had a good chuckle over. It. But the point is humorous situations, right? And inject that. I was a EMT when I was in school at a time I was going to be a doctor. And I remember coming on accident scenes and there's a dark humor that first responders sometimes have. They know what I'm talking about. And because it helps you deal with the stress, the massive stress that you're under. And, you know, is it always appropriate? Probably not. But it helps you get through that particular moment. It becomes something that's absolutely horrific. That you have no other option. You have to do the job because no one else is going to do that job, but you can kind of have your own side of humor to it within the context of that particular event. And I'm not judging it good or bad. I'm just saying it occurs and it's a coping mechanism. So it helps to cope with stress. So what can we do to bring more humor into our world?
0: I think the first thing is to look for it. You look for the funny. And particularly when times are stressed, I hear things. I'm kind of like you, Michael. All of a sudden, something comes out of my mouth and people laugh. It breaks the spell and then you can get back to exactly. it. So what's interesting is long ago, I started looking at signs whether it's a billboard sign, whether it's something on the back of a car. And it just makes me giggle. I live in LA, so we get in traffic jams. Yeah. And there was this truck that was stuck beside me and it said terminal freighting. And I started to laugh. I didn't know that <laughs> freighting was dangerous to your health. Yeah. You just you have to laugh. When I cared for my mom for the last six years of her life, and she had all manner of things wrong, including dementia. One minute she's dying, one minute she's not. One minute she's dying, one minute she's not. And I decided to call her Yo
1: Yo Ma. Oh, a (laughs) cellist. Yeah.
0: Well, but think of a Yo Yo
1: yo, Ma. That's funny. That is, Uh, I just got that. Sorry, I'm a slow.
0: My producer
1: is going to get that much quicker than I did. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And
0: we would do that, we'd laugh.
1: Yeah. And that's so, what I love about the resiliency. And you brought your mom up. Let's talk about her because she's a decorated veteran of World War II in the 1940s. There's something special. I know in your talks and your programs, you'll show a picture of World War II airplanes flying in the sky. And why don't you tell the rest of the story?
0: Well, let's see if I can do it quick. Mom was a WASP, a Woman's Air Force Service pilot of World War II. Right. Mom was always atypical She was one of three women in med school in the 30s. She wanted to learn to fly a plane. She went in with three guys and bought a plane. It was the early 40s. The war was terrible. We're being pulled into it. Every able-bodied pilot is needed to fly combat missions in the European and Pacific theaters. But if all the men go, who's going to do the domestic military flying? Right. Faring planes from coast to coast, towing targets for gunnery practice with live ammunition, testing planes when they got off the assembly line. The call went out. The bottom line is 1,076 women are in the same silver wings that the Air Force cadet did but with some exceptions one is they had to come already with a pilot's license male cadets did not they did every single thing that the male cadets did except they also in some ways paid for the privilege of doing that mom loved that they were disbanded shortly before the war was over literally said thanks for your service Find your own way home. 38 of them died in the course of duty, but because they were not considered official military yet, even though promised, they had passed the hat. In one case, mom said to send the body home. All of that is to say that women were not allowed back in the cockpits of military planes again for 30 years. 30 years, yeah. 30 years. But I want you to know, not one of those women ever regretted what they did. Sure, they wanted to be back flying. That's what they loved. But it matched. Here it is their purpose, and their value. That's right. It's three values, church, country, and children. Not always in that order. But that was one of the things when three weeks before mom died, And now she's got a stroke that has taken on her entire left side. And my sister and I decided I could try to go away on my two-day silent retreat. And I went into mom's room and I said, mom, this is where I'm going to go. And she said, listen to this, Michael. She said, I'll go with you. Let's be daring.
1: Let's have an adventure. Awesome. What a good mom.
0: And this is, she wouldn't have given anything to be out of that bed and have an adventure. So for mom, she always looked at,
1: how do I serve? Those 1,071 women who did that, they were sent home, find your own way home. And like you said, 30 years later in the 70s, that they were allowed back in again. But you did get to go to D.C. and get the Congressional yeah, Medal I got of congr- Honor. They
0: were finally granted in 2010, the Congressional Gold yeah.
1: Medal. I'm sorry it took so long. And thank you for your mom's service. I think one of her biggest acts of service was really giving birth to you because you've been able to change thousands of lives. And so it goes on and on and on And that whole aspect, because they're not the ones complaining about how they were treated. Their kids, as you say, it's us being indignant about it because they were treated so poorly and unfairly. But it goes to how we look after us. It. So it goes to the resilient mindset. Self-care is a buzzword these days. And when we think of self-care, it might be bubble baths, getting your nails done. It could be getting a massage. It could be going to the gym. It could be getting your favorite drink or beverage or your favorite meal. So what do you think is having more bubble baths the key to recharging? Relaxing, taking care of ourselves? Or is bubble
0: I love the color of nail polish you're wearing right now. It's just. Yeah,
1: right. It's, it's right a novel. neutral. It's a neutral. But isn't self-care more than that? Yeah, I think it is.
0: Here's a couple things that over the last couple of years I've been working on to practice for myself. Remember, I said I am my own student. One of them is, well, I told you, it's, it's the meditation. It's, you know, going out and run. But two things. One is sleep after Japan, and we're probably tired the most sleep deprived nation in the world. And so my objective is to get at least seven and a half hours sleep.
1: I'm with you on that one.
0: And that means that I'm not looking at my cell phone just before I go to bed. That doesn't mean I'm into some drama that when I go to sleep, I can't turn it off. It is taking that time. And I will admit to you, there are many times in which I'm in bed at seven 30 at night because I'll get up at four 30 in the morning to go do what I want. So I think for me, one of self-care is to create this place of sleep.
1: Rest, rejuvenation.
0: It is. Mm -hmm. is, It's how our brain needs it. Our body needs it. Other thing is in order to practice resiliency, growing through, one of my goals the last two years is I must do at least one thing, preferably more than one, every month that I have never done before.
1: Well, that sounds exciting.
0: It's fascinating. For sure. And sometimes back before COVID hit, I took a Pilates class. I've never taken a Pilates class.
1: That's brutal. I, That's hard work.
0: Yeah. Well, I've never done that before. In fact, I'm opening my day timer right now because I also do believe writing helps. And I write. What have I never done before? Well, I went to the Laughing Pony Rescue the other weekend. And it is a facility that rescues horses and ponies and donkeys that have been abused. But the Laughing Pony Rescue was down in Rancho Santa Fe, California. And it was a meditation and mindfulness retreat for just two hours with these horses. Wonderful! I've never done it before. I'm not sure that I'm going to do it again, but I, right. I, I did it. I, I did it. So I've been getting these crystals in my ear that yeah. get lodged and they make it really dizzy. Well, I had a couple sessions with a balance therapist, balance therapist. What the heck is that? Well, it's kind of like a bit of balance therapist. It works with everything from stroke to whatever, but it, to try to get me where the crystals will shift. Back in my head. It's kind of like ballast in a boat. Right. I've never done that before. So, that would be one of my challenges to your listeners. What are some things that you could try?
1: It's a good challenge. Yeah. Go out and venture out and do introduce some you've new never things. Done
0: before. Well, Eat food, you've never done before.
1: Right. Exactly. And it gets scary sometimes until you do it. And then it's like, all right, here you go. You've mastered it. Many of us are always trying to strike a balance between work and life. And you say that we should stop striving for balance. And you give a great metaphor of your sailing experience. And let's talk about that a little bit because work balance is important. I'm constantly reevaluating and I do the same things for self-care as you do. First two hours of every day for me. And I look at it as here, you're in the airplane, the depressurization occurs and oxygen mask comes out. You got to put it on yourself first. So you got to look after yourself. And then I do my own R&D and I don't do any work things until, you know, work time and work hours and maybe eight o'clock. But I've listened to something. I've got my exercise in. I've looked after myself. I feel good and I've had a good night's sleep. And by exercising, I get the seven and a half hours. So when I don't exercise, I get five and a half. I get six. I wake up at two in the morning and monkey brain goes. But if I've worked out and had the exercise, exercise, even just the walking, just pure walking and being one with yourself while you're walking, you can't help us anymore because your body needs the recovery time. The balance is very subjective. And what we think is balance is no balance. So talk to that because I thought that was very interesting.
0: Thank you, Michael. I'm glad you asked that. But again, it's going back to language, right? going back to the dictionary. So if I asked anyone, if I ask an audience, show me with your hands what balance looks like, pull up their hands as though it's the scales of justice. And balances that everything is equal. Life is never equal. That word alone is wrong. Right. So the metaphor which I created, oh my God, almost 40 years ago, instead of thinking of balancing, thinking of sailing. And when I say sailing, if you imagine yourself in a little one person boat, which when I was a kid growing up in Fort Lauderdale, I had a friend who had a one person boat. We could launch it from the beach, it was in the back of her station wagon, and I could go out on that little sailboat. And I want you to think here I am in a little one person boat. I got one hand over here here on the tiller i've got another hand over here on the sheet and if it's a good head of wind like you get in the Gulf stream my boat starts to list to the side so that i don't fall overboard i have my toes hooked under the gunnel which is kind of like the wooden frame if i'm tilting don't i look like i'm quote out of balance yeah big time my little boat looks as if it is theoretically out of balance it is not i am going forward Because I know where I am consciously connected to the most important parts of my boat. So it's the connection and knowing that if the wind shifts, what do I have to do, Michael?
1: You have to shift.
0: That's right. i got to come about. So I will have more tension, more time on one part of the boat than on the other. We all have the same five parts of our boat. It's just that given where we are in our lives, each one will look differently. And the amount of time, consider that connection, will change. It's when I abandon, don't pay attention to that, that I then become Shark City. So if you think about a sailboat, as it was back and forth and back and forth, that I then become conscious of what's happening in my life now. So my attention, my time to my work when I cared for my mom was not the same as when I was growing my business. The last six years, I would not take work that was offshore. There are times I wouldn't take work because my sister couldn't come down and take my place. Right. I didn't abandon my work. But I shifted the amount of time I spent
1: to. The new wind. Sure. No, that makes absolute sense. Which brings me up to the last question we should probably talk about is, what is the one thing we can all do better to protect our energy? Because at the end of the day, it's not a a never-ending resource. And to be resilient, you've talked about sleep. You've talked about meditation. You've talked about, you know, writing or it could be journaling. It could be that reflective time. Nutrition's obviously going to come into it. But do you have any other little tips that you'd recommend to our listeners that here's what you can do to protect your energy? energy and maybe your focus, you know, in your sailing metaphor is perfect, but what can we do to protect ourselves?
0: All right. I'm going to give you two thoughts. One is control the controllable. You and I get into overwhelm, Michael, and we try to control stuff over which I have no control at face value. right? I might have things that I can do. So if I sit there and go, oh no, 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 terrible, terrible. Well, let's use COVID as an example. I can't control COVID. Could I make some choices for my own health? To protect myself okay can't control COVID, but what can i control right. so i think it's one of the things is when you look at what goes on on the day am i trying to fix stuff that at face value i can't where is my place of control what are the choices that i make can i abandon it can i alter it adopt it can i give it to somebody else you know so control the controllable and the last thing sounds silly but develop horse sense Horse sense is the ability to say, nay, or boom, as the case may be. Right. You and I, because I know you're a speaker, I'll bet you do this. And I know for any of the females that are listening on here, we are like bobbleheads. We go, yes, 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 I'll take that off. We have ego invested in it. Other people say, no, they're not going to like me anymore. Horse sense is the ability to say no, or if not now, later. Right. And sometimes that's hard for
1: us. Yeah. To do. It's definitely a gender related issue. I see it more time and I'm surrounded by smart, intelligent, beautiful women, my daughters and my wife. And they're always, you know, when you make requests, they always say yes. And the busiest people are the ones who always say yes, you know, and it's about that value. And so protecting yourself is good. I think that is good. I'm guilty of that myself sometimes. It's like I want to say yes. I want you to be happy with, you know, what your request. Yeah. It's our nature, isn't it?
0: You won't like me anymore. And if I say no, I won't get that promotion just honor honor your energy dimensions honor what that quotient is now are there times when you and i will jump in and do stuff i mean i remember writing a 750 page rfp to Goodness. the government oh my god i thought i should, but <laughs> i had agreed to do this right. we won the proposal it was just but that was my choice if i'm gonna do that then i can't do all these other things
1: that's right Priorities. Yep. It's setting your boundaries and priorities and having boundaries instead of letting it get pushed. And like I say, we definitely have two different systems out there, but I think it's moving in the right direction, just not as fast as we'd like it to. One question I always like to ask some of our guests, and you've been professional for years and years and years, is maybe about their superpower. We all have superpowers, things we're amazing at. We know you're a good speaker. We know you can hold an audience's attention. We know you can create action within organizations because people can watch your YouTubes and you can see that. What's something we maybe don't know about you from a super Superpower. And I know one, I know, for instance, you make a mean lemon cake and that's one of your superpowers, but we've talked about that before the show. So I'm looking forward to getting mine, but what would you tell me is one of your superpowers? Something that you just, you're really, really good at and you get to brag here.
0: That is a very hard question. When I have asked friends and colleagues, you know, what is it that makes me unique or different? And I don't know if it's a superpower, but people do say it is your energy. And your ability to be kind, to draw people in, which I don't, I always thought energy, well, oh, that sounds so stupid. So well. she said, no, you have an energy that draws people in. So I, guess I get that's, that. I guess that's my superpower. That's a good superpower.
1: Now, well, and you are fun. Now, we all have superpowers, but sometimes even Superman has kryptonite. So we all have our kryptonite. My kryptonite is maybe details. That's why I'm surrounded by people who are amazing at details. What's Eileen's kryptonite? What's the thing you might struggle with that you have to really pull all your you know resiliency tools out of the toolbox because this is a challenge for you? What would you say that is?
0: Well, Michael, I'm like you. I don't like detail. The technical stuff, thank goodness for Bonnie in my office because she gets stuff. The technology just just let me do it. Like right now, when you had all these different technology challenges, I'd be for out. That's a kryptonite to me because I want it to go well. Right. And sometimes I would just as soon talk, forget the PowerPoint, forget the other stuff. Let's just hang out and talk with each other. I agree. So that's probably my kryptonite because I, I have no control over that. Awesome. And I want to have
1: control. Well, perfect. Well, listen, this has absolutely been delightful and we really appreciate you making time with us. The book is Burnout to Breakthrough. I think it's number seven for you. They can find your book anywhere you find books, Amazon or any local bookstores. We always like to support them and we want to keep them around as well. Reading your book. What I love about your book, there's not many books I think are must-reads, but on resiliency, I think this one is. It provides self-assessments. It's got exercises. You've got anecdotes. You've got the humor. Everything you need in your resilient toolbox or for your resilient toolbox, and you can get it wherever you get your books. And really encourage people to read that. I think it's ought to be one of the must-reads. Matter of fact, I think you were nominated. What was it? It was a recent nomination out of england
0: well there's two things one is i am now ranked three of the top 30 communication gurus worldwide by a British research firm. But also my book was selected in the top 10 books related to mental health care for this year.
1: Yeah, perfect. And we've touched on that a couple of times and subjects in September and and mental health month and some of the things so important. Well, this has absolutely been a treat. We'll have all the information on your website how people can find you. I know it's at eileenmcdard.com, but we'll have that in the show notes. They'll be able to find you and contact you there. And by the way, I got to tell you, your Twiddle handle is most fitting, at McDarling. You truly are. And thank you for sharing your time with us and being generous with your insights. Love it. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Bess Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. Goodbye.